0: Welcome to the How Writers Write podcast, a show focused on inspiring and empowering you to become a better writer. Come along as we deconstruct the tips, routines, and motivations of your favorite authors. In the end, it's all about getting your story onto the page. Welcome to the How Writers Write podcast. I am your host, Brian, and today's guest is Murr Lafferty. Murr is a fellow podcaster and writer from Durham, North Carolina. She made her name with podcasting on the I Should Be Writing podcast, the Angry Robot podcast, and Escape Pod, which is the premier uh, sci-fi podcast magazine, and has written for magazines, role-playing games, and audio and video podcasts. In 2018, among many, many awards, Murr was a Hugo Nebula, Philip K. Dick, Manly Wade Wellman Best Novel nominee for her novel, Six Wakes. Her latest novel, Station Eternity, which is the first book in a brand new mid solar Murder series, was just published on October 4th, 2022, so not even a week ago. This week nope. it was published. Murr, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks for having me. This is great. Hi.
0: Yeah, excited to, you know, flip the flip the roles here and interview, <laughs> interview you instead of the other way around. Um, I always start with this question when it's public. I have the pleasure of interviewing lots of authors on their public, and so I always start the question of, how's it going? How's it going on your pub week?
1: uh, it's it's going okay. My Pub week has been a little strange because, um because of a variety of reasons, pandemic agent change editor change um and lots and lots of edits it took me a very long time to get this book out hmm. from contract signing to last Tuesday and i think um i did some i did, i read a book one time called uh, this is your brain on sports this is relevant i promise <laughs> where one thing that's fascinating is science is, has determined that your brain has the ability to give you exactly as much energy as you need to get from start to finish. And like they've tested it with with bikers saying you're going to go for 10k and then they test the 10 you know when the bikers know how far they've gone mm-hmm. they're faster but when they don't know how far they've gone when you don't tell them their brain doesn't know how much energy to put into it. Mm. Back to me, I've been looking at October 4th as the end of this race for years now and come wednesday i was absolutely exhausted yeah my brain was just like okay we're done good job and wednesday and thursday were pretty pretty hard cuz i was very tired but uh i decided to take thursday and today off except for a number of things like talking to you but <laughs> um overall it's like i really am glad i was able to take some time off because it destroyed me i was exhausted
0: yeah uh i wonder how many authors Are feeling that same strain how many writers kind of in the wake of um you know the pandemic which scrambled all of our our brains Mm -hmm. quite a bit and i I, yeah go ahead ahead.
1: okay uh one of the the problems is and this happens when you finish a book as well um everything around us tells us we have to be happy
0: Mm -hmm. like
1: this is this is an accomplishment and we, we get excited about accomplishments but i mean your wedding day is one of the most stressful days of your life, you know, even if something's <laughs> yes, <it> good, <laughs> even if something's a a goal, even if something's wonderful, it very likely can stress you the hell out. And, um, yeah. you know, so I think authors need to be, happy, be kinder to themselves that there's an emotional drain at finishing a book and turning it in. And there's, you know, sometimes you just don't have any energy to celebrate once the book is out because you're just really tired.
0: Yeah, yeah it it makes one wonder, you know, like if you were this was your first episode ever listening to the show, and you you kind of heard this quick talk, you think, boy, that's a big price to pay for something like writing a book. It's it's interesting we pick such a at times torturous activity. Like, what, why, why keep going? I guess for you, like you know, I mean, I, I ask myself this question weekly, so I'll be curious what your answer is. But like, you know, in the face of something that's like really hard.
1: Yeah, what is a, it
0: that keeps your wheels turning?
1: I wanted to be a storyteller my whole life. And mm. that's, and I finally got a job doing it. Um, and that's the best thing ever. But yeah, it's hard. There's going to be difficulties in any job you do. Um, I try to tell my listeners that we celebrate all the rejections because rejections are part of being a writer, Like, you know, if you if your dream is to own a bar one day and you got to clean up some drunk person's mess in the bathroom and that's part of the job and you got your bar. Congratulations. But so, you know, you got to remember that there are bad parts of the job. And when we do the bad parts of the job, we just have to be reminded that it's the job that we dreamed of. And that's a good thing.
0: Yeah, it's a good perspective. That's a really good perspective. I, th- I think sometimes there's also a degree. There's no shortcuts. When yeah. I was a newer writer, I thought for sure I could go faster. I, I was confident, yes. confident that yeah. I would be the fastest of the bunch, you know, it, and that wasn't true. <laughs> that didn't happen. And I. I don't know. I don't know if there are shortcuts. I think you can start earlier. Like I didn't start writing until I was in my mid-20s, right? So I got mm-hmm. kind of a proverbial later start than some. But like there, there's no way to like shortchange that process. You can't go from being completely informed, which everybody is going to start at, to being competent
1: mm-hmm.
0: quickly. It's a long road. It really is.
1: Yeah. The um, but I think hoping that you'll be the exception is what keeps people going (laughs) because I mean I in 2001 I got laid off and I decided well this is this is the time to start working on my writing career and over the next 21 years oh my god um you know I had a kid I did some freelance writing for RPGs I discovered podcasting um all of the none of these things were fiction so it's not like I worked on my fiction career starting in 2001, hardcore every day until now. But if I'd been told that, yeah, you'll get there, but your first book will not actually be in bookstores. And I'm not putting anybody who's self-pubs or small press down. But this was my goal is to you know be uh, distributed in bookstores um, until 2013. I don't know if I would have done it. I agree. And so hoping that you'll be the outlier, I think is what keeps uh, beginners going. And, you know, as long as you don't, as long as you, re- <laughs> when you realize how long it's taken, when you re- remember that it's taken so long for the rest of us too, and don't get discouraged at that point.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I th- I think that's the thing too. As as I've done the show for the past um, couple of years now, one thing that's that always comes up is this just realization that there are like this is a this is a game that like it it really does take quite a bit to just be able to start telling good stories. You have to mm-hmm. pay some price. Like there's nobody that comes out. I used to think people are just born writers. I, I used to think they just sat down and just butters yeah. <laughs> you know, butterflies and rainbows and it just everything just flowed so easily for them. And here I am yeah. struggling to write a couple hundred words and then i read it and it's awful like not even legible i am like, like like this like my five-year-old could write a better paragraph than this i used to get so discouraged with that until i did the show and i realized like man everyone's everyone's had to go through the same thing everyone's had yep. to like pay that same price yeah yeah there's something comforting if, and terrifying about that
1: <laughs> exactly there are <laughs> it, it it is it is comforting and terrifying yeah. it's uh I always, I always wonder about that when i tra- tell people um imposter syndrome doesn't quite go away. And thinking you're crap doesn't quite go away. I know some people don't have imposter syndrome. Mazel tov to them. But I, you know, I've had it and it still hasn't gone away. And, you know, it's like on one hand, I hope people feel good that they're not alone. And what they're feeling is completely normal. On the other hand, I worry they're going to get discouraged because no, it doesn't go away.
0: Right. Yeah, right. It doesn't get easier. Um, I, I want to switch gears and ask you something. I just read the book Right to Market. Um, and the author's name is totally slipping my my mind at this second. I should have okay. written that. I should have written that down.
1: Yeah,
0: the premise of the book is that um, you know, the working author that is kind of making a career of publishing, they want mm-hmm. to make their living by writing books. One tactic that's incredibly effective is to understand the market and readership uh, and other comp titles around you before you start drafting and writing a book, right? So there's kind of two, when I got my MFA, there was like this idea that like, you never think about the reader. All you think about is what you want to write as a creative, Mm -hmm. artistic individual.
1: And then there's this other
0: side, which is like maybe a little bit more product focus, right? You're producing a product for the market to consume, which is your book, which is your novel. And you want to write within something you love. It's not that you're like writing books that you're not interested in but you're writing it in a way that you're trying to better position it to be uh, a success a publishable success market success. Yeah. And I'm curious if you have a perspective on that. Like do you start from one side of that or the other? Do you start with saying I just want to write the book I want to write, you know, market response be damned or do you start being doing a lot of research of like, you know, what's what's hot right now? What do I, what you know, what do I think will be a good kind of fit within my uh, genre within the readership? Like how much do you consider those things?
1: I don't know if I've ever actually tried to force a plot based on
0: Mm -hmm.
1: an exterior goal. Um, I mean, I'd be willing to try it. It sounds interesting, but it's the idea of writing to market. Just I've got a lot in my head that I already want to tell. And granted you know, I know that that urban fantasy went kind of out of style and I still have ideas for, uh, I had a two book series in the, the mid-teens, um, wanted to do more, but that didn't happen. And so, yeah, I'm not going to do those because I know the market, I mean, I'm not even going to try to self-publish those for a variety of reasons. One is I don't think the market will support it, but um personally, writing to market doesn't feel right to me. And again, I haven't tried it before, but I think it comes to everybody has to figure out what their goal is and what success means to them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I know somebody whose wife writes um, romance books to self-pub on Kindle, and she makes a lot of money doing it. And she told me once that she Realized that they wanted quantity and not quality so she Hmm. actually I mean I don't think she she on purpose made her books worse but she stopped worrying about the quality and just went for speed
0: yeah
1: I also saw she was in an arm brace at the time I think repetitive stress but (laughs) there's another (laughs) price to pay but that was working for her she wanted that was her success she wanted to do well in self-publishing um these Kindle books and she succeeded. And that's great that that worked for her. I don't know if that would work for me, but I'm not putting it down. If it works for somebody else, then great.
0: Yeah. It's, it's an interesting, I, there's some exercises in the book. And if you haven't read the book, I think it was two bucks on, on the Kindle version it was, I mean, so it's like the it's real, for people out there, if you're interested in the topic and just want to explore it, I'm not advocating for it. It's just interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the exercises were to go and um, look at your genre and kind of do an analysis of, you know, what are the characters, you know, what are the types of plots, just try and find like commonalities around it. And and I found that really, I'd never done anything like this before. I've never written from a perspective of like, how might somebody receive this, which is probably mm-hmm. not a great idea, <laughs> but um, I found it to be really interesting to see that there, there were some commonalities, like th- there were some threads that uh, were shared by a lot of the bestsellers in the genre, even below like the top 20 slots. And I wondered, like, do a lot of writers just kind of intuitively start pulling those learnings because they're reading a lot? Like, is, is, is maybe another way to get to that kind of like awareness of what's out there just to be yep. consuming a zillion books within the genre you write in?
1: Possibly. I don't know what creates that mass realization of let's all make the same stuff at the same time. Yeah. Um, it's happening in indie video games right now with potion games. Like mm. there's so many games where you can just play somebody who makes magic potions mm. and I I I love them all, and I'm just like wish listing every single one of them. But I'm thinking, wow, there are a lot all of a sudden. Mm. How? I I don't know how that works um you know unless a lot of us who are exposed to the same kind of um uh stimulus often go in the same direction of creation but um yeah i don't i don't know quite how it works but i've seen yeah. it in in fiction and in video games
0: yeah it's like um there's like this there's this scientific term where a bunch of really important discoveries happened simultaneously with mm-hmm. completely independent teams like people had no communication with each other both had these big breakthroughs at almost exactly the same point in history yeah which is which is a wild thought like how in the world does that happen to like yeah that kind of blows your mind in its own way but um maybe it's something similar so um let, let me ask you this this is something I've I've been asked a lot and I don't generally have good answers for it so I, I figured this is what the point of the show is. Um, (laughs) When you're embarking on like a big project, okay, so multiple points of view, uh, potentially long periods of time, lots of locations, lots of secondary characters. How do you organize a big project like that? What tools do you use? Uh, How do you keep it all straight and consistent? What does that look like?
1: Do you want to know how it gets done or how I think it should be done? Because <laughs> I don't recommend doing my thing. I, I have a, a, a notebook problem, and I know mm-hmm. a lot of writers do. Yeah. But my problem, I never heard anybody mention the fact that they'll often just grab whatever notebooks nearby to make a note. And then be surprised later when they can't find what they wrote down right, because there are too right. many notebooks around. So I take, I'll, I'll pick a notebook. Usually, I'll make a lot of the same notes in the same notebook, and then that'll go missing. And then um, I will write, and I don't like to be slowed down when I write, so I make notes in the margin, like this has to change in the past or whatever. Uh, So I make notes in Scrivener for that, and that helps. And then when I'm done, I realize it's a big mess. Mm -hmm. And then um, with six wakes, I did note cards for every scene and just put them all over the floor and tried to figure out because that one has a lot of flashbacks. So things could be moved around and interchanged. Just I had to decide where in the story that flashback would best fit um with with Station Eternity oh god I I just I I did uh, there's a number of murders in the character's past that she had solved and I make without like naming them I make specific reference to a lot of them like oh the seventh murder happened when she was in college and the the two murders happened at the same time during this trip this year and then when I got it back from the copy editor they're like this doesn't work out it's like you mentioned there are four only four murders before the seventh murder and it was it was (laughs) a huge mess yeah and so um that's when I got uh I guess it's pronounced Aeon or Eon timeline, A-E-O-N.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's come and up a few times on the show. I, I yeah, that I like one it helped too. that yeah. one
1: helped a lot. Yeah. And it also helped with my um there's a lot of uh for, for book two, there's a lot of stuff that happens before the book starts that the timing is very important on mm-hmm. and so i found the um the the software really useful for that because that helped me work out all the things that happened beforehand and made sure that everything took the right amount of time yeah and uh so notebooks try to keep all your notes in the same book and then uh Eon timeline's good with characters, I don't know. I don't really write a lot down about my characters. Maybe I should. Um, yeah, I don't have very clean show uh, uh, story bibles. Hmm. I wish I did. I wish wish I had that that patience. But hmm. <laughs> um, no, I guess I do. I I will make. Um, I'll make index cards with the characters on them. So yeah, I just remembered I did that. So I would make index cards with the characters on it so I could they could be easily shuffled and and you know grabbed for uh quick reference kind of thing. So I guess I do use business cards, notebooks, and eon timeline.
0: Um when you're doing character stuff, are you like, you know, a lot of times people are like, what is their flaw? What is their, you know, secret? What's their ghost like are, yeah. are you going through and, and clarifying those things or do you let it organically happen while you're writing
1: sometimes i i don't feel like i write good characters at least in an early draft mm-hmm. they don't really stand out to me and then other people like have commented that they love my characters. so clearly somewhere along edits i do clean it up but um I do like to go through and uh and at least become a little bit aware of those things. Um when I'm doing it I I ran into a wall with with book 2 when I knew exactly what one of my characters was going to look like. Um it's a musician I've seen online and I'm like I you you're, you're this character in my book and mm. because I could picture him so clearly and I've seen him perform online, I couldn't get his personality down because my brain's like, this is all I know about this person. And I'm thinking, no, it, it's it's not that person. Right. It's like <laughs> it's too just, anchored. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So um I had to go through a lot of character work just to develop him because my brain was it it, it caught on what it looked like and then refused to go any further. Um, i don't always stick to it perfectly it's like um one of my favorite tools is 45 master characters by victoria schmidt um it does a lot of archetypes based on um gods and goddesses and how they work together and the best part is they she takes a lot of characters from literature and movies and tv and shows you who falls in this archetype which is really helpful because you can see how different characters you would have thought were different fit the the uh fit the archetype um where that falls down is it's very uh hetero and binary focused which is you know i i've been hoping she would update it to give a little bit more um fluidity there but uh besides that that's that's the caveat but besides that it's usually a really good way for me to at least get a launching point for my characters
0: yeah yeah there's a couple there's there's a couple really good books in those series there's the 45 master characters um and then there's a master plot one as well oh yeah really interesting um those are those are i have them both in kindle And those are like Mm -hmm. almost reference books at this point for me. Like, I I feel like if I, uh, I have this dream someday to have like a writing cabin, you know, Mm -hmm. and I picture in my writing cabin to have book big like stands with huge heavy books on them that are like my reference books. And those, those books would be on Mm -hmm. those stands because I just feel like I come back to them over and over and over again. They're really interesting ways to think about, to think about character.
1: Yeah. That's actually, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, I also really like uh, Save the Cat Writes a Novel, which is, again, so meticulously researched that it, it gives you so much detail and examples of the plots that uh, the author figured out and put into the uh, Save the Cat beat sheet concept. So, um, yeah, yeah.
0: Do you stress about that? Like is that like I I um I've been thinking a lot about the tension between like a story structure and to a certain degree I think I think structure really helps readers better consume stories. Um I don't know why but people I think we are conditioned at a certain to a certain degree of maybe just accepting the uh known uh format of stories right Mm -hmm. now. And so, and so I, I, I like structure for that reason that it helps kind of deliver the story in a way that like, doesn't ask the reader to have to also figure out the form, but then I also get really frustrated by the confinement of it and by being contained by it to a certain degree. And so, so how do you, how do you balance that?
1: I'm a fan of structure. I'm a fan of, of what we expect when we get told stories. Mm -hmm. um it's especially important in genre Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, you can't mm -hmm. have a story where one of the loved loved ones dies and call it a romance right um you know you can't that there were severe very important rules placed on mysteries about 90 years ago um and every once in a while someone wants to break the mold but it almost never lasts. It's, I, I, I tend to think of it like, look, every house is going to have a foundation and mm-hmm. walls and a ceiling and plumbing and doors and windows. And there might be some experimental houses that do not have that, but do you want to live there really? Right. And once you have those things, you can make any sort of house you want. And right. it's, it's, and so it's, I think there's a lot of, there's still a lot of freedom in that. As a consumer, I know that whenever I watch or read something that does not follow the structure that I expect, I don't like it. And so. I, I don't say it's bad, but I get I get uncomfortable. And um, what's really interesting is a lot of Western people talk about things like the hero's journey, basic structure, as universal it's not it's western because Mm -hmm. uh like I've been reading some Japanese books and they have their own structure Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. it's not ours and it's like I get uncomfortable reading that because I'm like uh I thought in 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 western storytelling there was so much foreshadowing there would have been so much foreshadowing for this thing to happen and it never does And that's the way they told the story. And um, I just had to in that case, I just realized, you know, this is this is outside my cultural norm and I just have to go with it. But I remember I saw a heist movie that uh, I forget whether it didn't have the betrayal or it didn't have the double switch where you think someone's betrayed you, but then they have it because it was that way all mm-hmm. along and everybody's, you know, it, it, it missed one of those elements and it really felt like a weak movie to me just because that's, that was the only thing wrong with it, but it missed that little element structure part and it felt wrong. And so I'm a fan of structure. I think, um, I think there's a, uh, freedom when you know where the boundaries are because sometimes we can get if there are no boundaries anywhere we can get really analysis paralysis or second guess um ourselves i was talking to somebody and they were saying that they, they they live a very different lifestyle than me a very free lifestyle and uh i think they're single and don't have uh a typical house. And they were talking about how they, they have trouble structuring their sleep schedule. And I was thinking, well, my sleep schedule could be better, but it's like having a routine in my house with, yeah. uh, you know, she's not here anymore, but I still have my get up in the morning and take care of the kid kind of mentality. And it's within that structure that I can do a creative day instead of just do whatever sleep schedule I want, which I will suffer for later kind of thing. So I find that, that limitations actually let us do a lot because we know where we can't go.
0: Yeah. I, I agree with you. I think, um, I think overall structure, especially as a new writers is incredibly helpful. So what one of the things is I kind of talk to new writers a lot is they're trying to reinvent what's been hammered on for 5,000 years in Western literature. Like the 3X oh, yeah. structure has been around for a long ass time. And so like, it doesn't say, that's not to say you can't break that. Of course you can do anything you want in writing, but your life will probably be significantly easier if you learn the basics first, and especially with the, with the writing life, because there's some of these things that time has just, hone down to being mm-hmm. like this is a good place to start. Not that you have to stay within it, but it's at least a good place to start. Um so yeah, I do... but,
1: well I, I did discover that in trying to break the mold, I certainly understood the reason for the mold. Right. <laughs> so yeah. Right. Going right. through those, going through <laughs> those I'm gonna be different yeah. uh, uh uh phase was was also instructional to me. Um Sorry, go on.
0: No, I I think that was the main point is just um that there's there's such a value in knowing the superstructure or the substructures of how stories work.
1: Well, one thing I love about the idea of boundaries is a lot of people write fan fiction. Yeah, and fan fiction is a huge boundary because if you're already agreeing to keeping your story within the universe or the characters or the general plot of something that's already been created and then being creative beyond that and so if people have you know are worried about a certain part of their writing I, I usually tell them okay well if you don't like writing characters if you don't like building characters why don't you write some fanfic and keep the characters that are in the fanfic or keep in the original and then write around it and see what you can learn about the characters, knowing that they're already existing. And then maybe switch it around, do something from that universe or that plot, but different characters. And I think it's a really, I think fanfic's an awesome way to sort of put training wheels on to learn writing.
0: Yeah, I love that idea. I would love to write fanfic. Like I would love to write a star. I have a great Star Wars story. My brain that I've just been cooking for a while that I need to someday mm-hmm. someday bring to life. Um, as always, here we are. All of a sudden, I've run out of time. Um,
1: <laughs> I talk a lot. I'm sorry. No, the no, no. Are in me.
0: I, no, I, uh, I, I feel like all the time I'm like, oh, good, we have lots of time to talk about stuff, and then I blank, and here we are at the end of the show. So um, here's here's what we're gonna do. Uh, every, at the end of every show, I ask the same questions to every guest and I do it because I really like the answers and it's my show. So I could do whatever I want. And the second Go reason, yeah, second reason is because, you know, the whole point of the show is to encourage, uh, inspire, maybe make, give good ideas for, for writers to figure out their ways of putting down words on the page. Um, nothing really truly happens until that point. Um, so much of the writing process comes down to, can you effectively write? And Mm -hmm. so many writers drop out of the writing process because they just can't do it. They can't find their way to do it. And I, I hope these answers from all these guests, all these authors, uh, inspire people and make people laugh, give you some good ideas and, um, kind of reinforce that idea. There's no one correct way to write. You got to find your way to do it. So with that out of the way, here's my first question, which is what do you view as your role as a storyteller?
1: Um, I want to send people on a fun escapist um, journey. I want to distract them from their, uh, the, the trials of life. I,
0: hmm.
1: I am the happiest when someone's like someone, I, I didn't really respect what I wrote. I mean, I, I told the story I wanted to tell it was fun, but then I didn't feel it was important until someone told me that um. You know, her mother was dying in the hospital and she was sitting with her mom and my book made her laugh. Mm. And that was what I wanted to be. I want to take people into a place to, to distract them and make them happy. A lot of other people write amazing things and look into, cast a, a lens on society and the terribleness and everything and great, but that's not my role. Mm.
0: That's really wonderful. I, I love that. Um, second question for you. What is the one word that best describes you?
1: Indecisive?
0: <laughs> <When> you <laughs> sent
1: me that. I'm like, oh God, what? I don't. Uh... Yeah, that, that that is the one I I find. It takes me a while to get focused on a decision and moving forward, I could say, I'll say thoughtful. How about that? <laughs> Instead mm, thoughtful. Of I like,
0: I like that. Thoughtful.
1: <laughs> it's it's yeah.
0: Okay. Next question for you. If you had to pick a spirit book, so this is a book that if you died and you're able to come back and be reincarnated as a book, what book would you pick?
1: Yeah, I've been thinking about this one. Um it it's hard. Um, I'm gonna say Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. because that book has has influenced my writing in ways that I never even see until I'm well Mm -hmm. away from the story and it's ridiculous because it's after that it's like oh that's really obvious of course it's influenced (laughs) by Hitchhiker's Guide and but I don't think about it while I'm writing and I feel like that book is already part of me and um, so I'm guessing that's the one I'd be all soaked in to come back as anyway yeah
0: yeah yeah i always i I know what you i have a couple books like that and i one of the biggest struggles in my reading life is trying to decide to read a new book or just read (laughs) the same old book over (laughs) and over again because i love them so much so i i know how you feel i've got a couple of those as well um okay next question for you is there a specific tool can be anything at all pencil software chair coffee tea anything that you absolutely must have to
1: write? No. Because uh, I took, I I did the workshop "Viable Paradise in 2005 or six, somewhere around there. Mm -hmm. And I remember Cory Doctorow telling us that um, if you don't tie your writing to a ritual, you could do it anywhere. Mm. And I liked that idea. And now I like the idea of a ritual too, because it really does, it really does speak to our brains. Yeah, But, and you know, there's nothing wrong with that, but I kind of don't have one. And I don't know if it's because I'm disorganized or I just tried to have that. I can write wherever I need to write, um, mentality, but, uh, I, I speci- very specifically have nothing.
0: Hmm. Very specifically have nothing. I like mm-hmm. that. Um, okay. Next question. How do you deal with the constant ups and downs of the writing life?
1: Ah, uh, the first thing I do, and this was my epiphany, I guess this year, or last year is realizing that, uh, emotions are not reality. Mm. I am not, I'm not a psychiatrist or a psychologist, but I realize, you know, you're going to wake up one day and you're going to think I am the best writer in the world. And you're going to feel great. And you're going to write, and you're going to feel just awesome. And the next day, nothing else has changed in your life. And you're going to wake up and think I'm garbage. <laughs> and that those are the days you got to remember that. Yeah, That's not reality.
0: Yeah. Right.
1: And um, you may be right. If like, I mean, if something happens to make you feel bad, like a bad review or something, um, you know, that's of course your, your feelings are valid. I'm not trying to say that. Um, I'm just saying that, process them but don't take them as a reflection of what's actually happening around you because it's probably not that bad and you just need to you know take care of yourself do some self-care maybe step back from your work in progress and get some perspective but um whenever I feel really bad, I just, I'm just like, look, I'm feeling these emotions and I'm going to feel them and that's okay. But emotions are not reality. And yeah. that, that really helps me. So um, that's, that's the one I would say.
0: I really like that. I was, I was actually just at, I just had a conversation with a writer the other day and we were talking about this topic of feeling and, and emotions. And, and I, I believe that feelings are not to, we don't need to be afraid of feelings. Um mm-hmm. it's okay to feel bad one day. It's okay to feel happy one day. Yeah. It's okay. All those things are okay. Um like you said, it's good to have some sort of point you come back to, some sort of centering point, a north star. But what's interesting is that the thing that often gets us in trouble is not feeling. Is bottling those things up and trying to push them aside or push them down or act like oh, they're yeah. not there because they just burrow into you.
1: Yeah, I learned yeah. early on that I needed to uh do you know, babying self-care whenever I got a rejection. Hmm. Uh, When I got really disappointed, I would, you know, go get a bottle of wine and some fuzzy pajamas, depending on the season and, you know, sit on the couch and allow myself. I'm wallowing. I am feeling sorry for myself and this sucks. And there were a couple of times I didn't do that. And I wondered why I felt low grade crappy for a couple of days. Yeah. And I realized that that's my ritual. That's not a ritual I need to write, but that's a ritual I need to process the emotion of, well, that thing I tried didn't work out. Let's feel sorry for ourselves and then move on. Yeah. And um, that's making sure I process that the way I need to do it is uh, key for me. Yeah,
0: agreed. Yeah. Okay, last question for you. Um, OK, if you could could give one piece of advice to new writers out there, what would it be?
1: It's don't quit. And (laughs) I know it sounds trite, but the thing is that. um, No, actually, no, everybody knows not to quit. If you don't quit, then you're not a writer and then that's not advice. Embrace your failures. Mm. That that is mine, because for two reasons. Um they're going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> they're going to happen. I'm sorry, but they're you're they're you're going to fail. You're going to get rejected. It's going to happen. Um if you embrace it and you accept it, then you will bounce back a lot faster. Um I tell the story on my show a lot where there's a there's an Australian cooking show where, where, uh, reality show type thing, where one woman was doing. She was like perfect every time, and she won almost every challenge. Blah blah blah. And there was another woman who was like she was talented, but she was like at the bottom of the pack a couple of times. And then like if you're at the bottom of the pack, you have to do another challenge to see who goes home, kind of thing. And so when the woman who was perfect had a bad day and got put in that second challenge, she was in tears. Yeah, she couldn't cope. But the woman who was at the bottom and going through the challenge several times, she won the whole thing because she knew how to fail. Mm. She was also really good. I mean, but it's like being at the bottom, handling that situation made her handle everything else better and if you're always at the top the first time you're not at the top is going to blow your mind and you're not going to know what to do yeah. so if you embrace failure then you will be stronger for it and be and and know what to do next time you fail
0: yeah a lot to think about on that one a lot to unpack on that one It's a lot of uh Reflection I need to do on that point. Yeah. Um <laughs> where where can people find you online? Where's your hangouts? Where's your haunts? Do you tweet? Do you Instagram? Do you Facebook?
1: Uh well, my website, which I guess no one blogs anymore, is Merverse.com, which is where you can find my books and my podcasts. Um, I'm probably most active on Twitter, um, at Mighty Murr. Sometime I'm trying to get into TikTok now, and that's also Mighty Murr. Um, I have a Twitch channel. That's probably where I spend most of my social online time. And that's twitch.tv slash Mighty Mer. So um, yeah, that's that's where to find me talking about games or science fiction or writing.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Well, I have so enjoyed having you on the show. Thank uh, you. This I has been fun. Yeah, I appreciate your perspective. I, I, I wonder how it is to be on the other side of the mic yeah. being interviewed instead of doing the interviews. But uh, I really appreciate it. It's been great to interview you. And, uh, yeah, just, just such a fun kind of range of topics. Good to cover off on.
1: Thank you. Thank you. I had a lot of fun on the other side. You wonder, have I been talking too much? Am I going off on too much of a tangent? Are they sitting there going, we're out of time. We're out of time.
0: (laughs) Not at all. It's been great. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Leave us a rating for you on iTunes if you can. It means the world to me. Lastly, I just want to say thank you so much for listening. I really do appreciate it. And I hope you have a wonderful week of writing.